Welcome to the 49th episode of the Game 4 podcast. In this episode, still recording from home, we'll talk about the good and the bad of big tabletop gaming companies. I'm Adam. I'm Matt. And this is the Game 4 podcast. Game 4 is a platform to help connect tabletop gamers and to help you get more out of your tabletop gaming. Matt and I are part of a software development and design company called Milk Can, and because most of us folks at Milk Can love tabletop games, we developed the Game 4 app and launched it in early 2018. We launched this companion podcast in June of 2019 to help tabletop gamers get more enjoyment out of their hobby. Due to the COVID-19 global pandemic, we hibernated the Game 4 app in July of 2020 and plan to bring back the retooled version of the app for Android, iOS, and web when gaming in person is safer. Until then, we'll keep bringing you this podcast to help you get more out of your tabletop gaming. We're coming up on the two-year mark for the podcast. I mean, it's, yeah. well, it's, it's April, but yeah, June will be we'll coming be pretty two, close. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, doing it every two weeks and we're at 49. So 52 would be two years doing it every two weeks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting there. That's we're getting there. The math checks. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's I'm super <laughs> good at math. Lord knows. <laughs> so what kind of uh, stuff have you been doing lately? Yeah. I know you were on vacation. You went, you went down South. Yeah, we went down to the Gulf Shores of Alabama, which is right next to Florida as well, um, mm-hmm. and kind of hung out on the beach. But while we were able to social distance, it wasn't like uh, I think like Miami. I think I saw the stuff that like it was super super crowded. Um, oh yeah, well, it was the spring like, break stuff. Yeah, this was like super sparse. You know, people. You know, there was people there, but we were definitely not on top of one another. So that was nice, and then we could you know mask up and stay safe. You guys weren't even really so, in a hotel. You guys got a Airbnb or something, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. A, like a condo someone rented out um, mm-hmm. for it. So yeah, there was like nobody there type thing. Yeah. It was it was nice. So, but yeah. So I was I was all set. Had my hobby kit. Um, we were concerned about whether we had room for it, and then uh, some last minute um, snafus with packing um, sent me to the store early Saturday morning to before we left. And by the time I got back, I was kind of feeling rushed to get us going on the road and got the stuff taken care of and forgot my hobby kit till we were, I think, about 30 or 45 minutes away. Um, and we decided that it wasn't worth me turning around and going back for it. Right. Yeah. That's a bummer. Yeah. yeah. So, but I, I did bring my Blood Bowl rules. So I, I did get to you know at least read up on some of that stuff. But no, I didn't get to do... Too much until we got back, um, but I did uh, spend the last two nights. Um, I finally cracked open the Star Wars Legion um, starter box. Like mm-hmm. the, uh, it's the original one, not the um, uh, Clone Wars version. Yeah, so that's um, like the uh, the like troopers versus the rebels versus um, uh, stormtroopers and stuff. It's like yep. from the original movies four, five, and six, L- known as as the uh, Galactic Civil War, is what I've been Ooh. told. Okay, yeah. nice. Yeah, so I, I did get everything there assembled, um, which was super nice. Um, I started doing some Blood Bowl stuff for the other team mm-hmm. on like that night I got back and um, got really frustrated. <laughs> yeah. um, they were, some of the, the pieces were becoming more frustrating than I, I was ready to deal with. So, mm-hmm. yeah, one with these, which were, I mean, there were some, so, some stuff that were a little fiddly, but... I mean, the actual people and stuff was super fast and easy to do. I was kind of shocked. Yeah, oh, that's cool. So, yeah, the yeah. Star Wars Legion like miniatures in the original core starter box 
they're not the best sculpts in the world. They're not real dynamic. They, they got better yeah. as they went along, but man, they were fast to build. They were really, really easy and quick, and quick to build. Yeah. 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 I think the, the speeder bike was the only thing that was a little fiddly. Right. And even yes. that wasn't too bad. Yeah. But like the stormtroopers and the rebels and all that kind of stuff. Like I haven't built any of the rebel stuff yet. I've only been working on empire. And so mm-hmm. I've got 800 points of empire. Well, they did have, have a point change recently, so I should check to see if I'm still 800 points or not. But uh, due to the original points, uh, I had 800 points of um, empire, empire uh, painted. So I'm, mm. and I'm, I've got terrain, got a bunch of terrain for that game as well. That is not, well, it's, it's, it's based, it's, it's primed and base coded and I'm going to be painting it soon. So, um, yeah, but it's a bunch of 3d printed cool, like tattooing type buildings, which I can use for other stuff as well, which is neat. So yeah, that's cool. I'm glad to hear you get into that because I think eventually we'll be able to actually play it. And I know that, uh, one of our local shops is getting big into it too. So, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's my goal. I, I think we're, we'll have so many games to play. It'll be. Oh, oh yeah, crazy. absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to have so much, so much Warcry stuff ready to go. And like, even. I mean, since this pandemic, I've done two more kill teams uh, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, I've got like bands. one and a half. Yeah, I've done two more f- completed kill teams for kill team, and I've done one, two, three, four, five, maybe five war bands for Warcry, like that are all wow. finished. Because yeah. I, it's what I've, well, it's what I've been doing on Twitch. You know what I mean? Right. So, so yeah, so yeah, you and I could probably play like not reuse the same thing more than once, and probably play like twenty something games easily without yeah and that's just us i know like everybody else is in the same boat like oh yeah yeah absolutely yeah i mean it's i it's interesting the way the pandemic has treated different um types of uh players differently you know board mm-hmm. gamers are in a rough spot because if you're not able to play with your family like it's you know i guess you could you yeah. know again reconfigure the way the, the components fit in the box again you could go through on your board games and figure out which ones you want to get rid of and stuff like that but there's not a lot of hobby actual time that you spend on it yeah some the, of, some of the ones with the minis now you can paint up and stuff true. like that if yeah, you absolutely, want to but, absolutely yeah but yeah there's not a lot to do mine are kind of collecting dust right now um i know i bought a, a number of them right before um mm-hmm. everything so yeah they're still basically i i don't even know if i have them all punched out to be honest so. yeah but with miniatures i mean it's given people who who had been playing a decent amount and because they were playing, they didn't have time to paint because just, you know, the time and also right. like, well, if I paint these guys, I can't play with them right now because I'll, they'll be, you know, partially done. Well, now mm-hmm. they've had time to, to crank through and get a lot of stuff finished. So, you know, it's, it depends. I mean, I think with the, the magic players and stuff like that, they've got, you know, sure they can go through their collections and build new decks, but they still can't really play. Although a lot of magic players have switched over to playing, uh, the, the computer uh, game arena, version yeah. Uh, arena. Yeah. But, you know, I've also heard things about that program being a little janky as well. So uh, I've not used it, but I've watched it. I've watched it a little bit on Twitch. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's been an interesting year. Let's just say that. <laughs> I'm sure that everyone kind of knows that. But uh, yeah. Well, and you got your vaccine shot since the last time you recorded, I think, your first one. Yes, right? I got or... my first one. And my second one is coming up on uh, towards the end of April, like the 20 something. If And so... Nice. Um, yeah, so that'll yeah, I've got be good. one week to go for mine. Yeah, so. my wife got both of hers now, uh, but because she works at the university, uh, mm. and she the second one did mess with her a bit. It kind of she gave her it gave her a lot of fatigue, but otherwise she was fine. Um, and so, and she's better now. So, good. But yeah, so that's that's been that's been good. 
you've been working on anything else or doing any, I mean, being gone, obviously you didn't do any like RPGs or anything like that. Yeah. So we, yeah, so that's that kind of right in the middle of being gone. I mean, we were gone technically only a week, but it mm-hmm. was with planning and packing and everything else. So, you know, it kind of took up both weekends. So yeah, that's, that's kind of been my hobby for the last two weeks. When you um, came back, you needed so. a vacation from your vacation. Huh? Right. What? Exactly. Yep. Uh, what have I been doing? Well, let's see. So um, I finished, uh, and I'm going to use air quotes there. I finished my Mutilith Vortex Beast that I've been working on on Twitch. I decided mm. partway through March that it was Monster March because I had been working on one big kind of monster, and then I started painting another monster. So I'm going to try to do that going forward. We're going to get rid of this March Madness thing, and we're just going to make it Monster March, and that's what everyone's <laughs> going to do. Um, or but you yeah, could, so you could do Cthulhu. Yeah, well, yeah. there's lots of all kinds of monsters I could do. That's March two madness, maybe. Then, yeah. Mm. Oh, I like mm. it. March two madness yeah. monsters. Right. So, yep. Yeah. But uh, and when I say finished in, in air quotes, it's means because I didn't get his uh, his base is not done. I never really mm. paint the bases on Twitch because very frequently it's like, okay, I paint this color on there. Cool, great. And I can be talking while I'm doing that. And then very frequently there's a wash step. And that wash step, you put a lot of wash on there. It can take 45 minutes to an hour to dry. So then you're kind of just sitting there with nothing to do. So, um, and especially since it's one model that I can't even really like, um, he's one big model, so I can't really uh, assembly line him or anything. But so he's, I'm going to finish him up. Exactly, exactly. So I'm going to finish him, finish him. uh, And then probably take some pictures and stuff like that. And I also have to, exactly. And I also have to finish the, um, the terror guys that I did before him, the beginning part of monster March, oh, which is the, yeah, yeah. the big, uh, bat dragon zombie skeleton monster mm-hmm. thing. Um, his base needs to be finished as well. So, um, so yeah, I, I finished the Mulith vortex on Twitch and then, um, I got an early copy of Warhammer quest cursed city, which is the next big boxed game from games workshop. Mm. And it's part of the Warhammer quest line. They had a Warhammer quest game and then there was Warhammer quest silver tower. And then they had Warhammer quest Blackstone fortress, which was actually sci-fi in the 40 K universe. And that was the most recent big kind of, you know, and then they had, they, they make expansions and do stuff with it and all that kind of jazz. And they're kind of a gateway game between board game and miniatures game. And now mm-hmm. this new one, Cursed City, is going back into fantasy, uh, like Age of Sigmar type realm. And there's a lot of cool vampires and skeletons, undead, and all that kind of stuff. So, and I assume that like the quest games are pretty siloed, or uh, what do you mean by that? Like the Blackstone Fortress, like nothing from that could be used in Cursed City, and vice versa. Oh right? yeah, no, no, uh, no. Now the thing that's interesting though is that all those games also, like um, Blackstone Fortress came with a pamphlet in it of this is uh stats for all the models in this box set to use okay. them in Warhammer in Warhammer 40,000. Ah. Okay. And uh the That's same cool. with same with this new Cursed City, it came with a uh a, basically again a pamphlet that's like here's all the Age of Sigmar stats for all the models in this game or almost so, all the models in this game. So really a, a really truly a gateway game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that and, and and you know, Games Workshop's been doing that for a while now. We're like nearly everything they put out, especially if it's anything aimed even vaguely at beginners, they're trying to figure out ways to then also, you know, make Leap it easy for it. you to to get into the other stuff. So uh but yeah. the I, I love skeletons, so uh and there's really, really great skeleton sculpts in there. So I put those together over the weekend. Um because I had to make a video about it. Uh, the video went live on Saturday morning, so I made the video on Friday, but I didn't get the game until like Wednesday night. 
So I just showed like what's in the box and talked about first impressions and stuff like that in that video. And then as soon as the video was done, then I could start, you know, cutting apart all the the parts and putting the skeletons together. And then I primed them on Sunday afternoon. And then on Monday night, I started painting them last night on Twitch. So there's 10 of them and I'm working on them. And so that'll be fun. I'll be working on them until they're done. And then, um, yeah, otherwise I've just been crazy busy, like uh, with a secret project and, uh, also mm. still trying to get a uh, 3d resin printer. Uh, the one that I want, the one you've got the Elegoo Saturn, um, there might be a light at the end of the tunnel because oh, yeah? it's still, well, it's still, um, you know, not available on, on, uh, Amazon mm-hmm. and they are supposed to be getting some more going to Amazon eventually. Uh, and when they do very probably scalpers will pick them all up and then resell them as collectibles at a $300 plus uh, right. point, which sucks. But I reached out to Elegoo and said, Hey, uh, I have this YouTube channel, blah, blah. And they've reached out to me before. And I've always been like, yeah, no, thank you. I, you know, I mean, I, I, I just don't want them to send me free stuff. So I reached mm-hmm. out to them and I'm like, Hey, I want to get this printer. And they're like, cool, well, we'll send you one for free. And I'm like, no, I want to buy one. I just don't want to have to fight scalpers on Amazon. So when they come in, can I just buy one direct from you? And it, there's a language barrier there because people I'm talking to, I believe, are in China. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, they speak America or they speak English way better than I speak Chinese. So, you know, it, but nonetheless. Absolutely. Yeah, but uh, eventually we did get on. A, they did understand that I wanted to buy one from them and not and not get one for free. And then they were like, "Okay, well, yeah, when we get them in, we'll, we'll do that." But um, so in theory, maybe this month I'll hopefully get uh, that printer, and then I've got to figure out. I talked with my wife a little bit about maybe trying to figure out a way to vent this little side room, this little root cellar mm. room in the basement. Um, and that might help too. So I don't know. I'm gonna figure that out. I think that trying to possibly knock a hole in a window or, or remove a window and replace it with something mm-hmm. else is probably a better idea to do in the summer than in the winter, Lord knows. So, yeah. uh, yeah. But yeah. We'll I would look into out. like dryer vent stuff. They, a lot of stuff is done for like dryer vents to go yeah. out through like basement windows and all that. They've, that's yeah, that's, almost... that's, that's what I was thinking. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's, that's pretty much been my hobby lately. Um, that's what nice. I've been doing. Yeah. Sweet. So, we were talking a little bit about Games Workshop, and mm-hmm. they're a big company within uh, within tabletop uh, miniature wargaming. Right. And there's a bunch of different big companies within tabletop wargaming, or tabletop gaming in general, I mean. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what we, we were talking about uh, ahead of time was, you know, the you know there's te- kind of like the big three-ish companies that kind of encompass the tabletop gaming Um you know, like you said, like both. Yeah, like, you've got uh, like the big three that that encompass four genres, which I think is also right. kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. So you've got Games Workshop, of of course, from the UK that does you know miniature wargaming. They kind of own the space. I mean, there's definitely competitors. I'm not going to say that they're, but they are the you know the big one in the room. Absolutely, um, they are. Like from what we understand from numbers, because they're a publicly traded company. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in 2019 or 2020, mm-hmm. I think it was in 2019, they, the revenue was somewhere up over, uh, I'm, I'm guessing here, I, I believe that I remember reading it was up over 800 or 900 or well, maybe not quite that million, but it was a, it was a huge number. But during mm-hmm. that same year, 2019, according to ICV2.com, the entire 
tabletop gaming market was only 1.8 billion. So, so they're amongst this group of real big, you know, player. Um, and they're the right. biggest in in miniatures. Now, let's just start with an initial caveat on this whole entire thing. When we're talking about these big companies and about how big they are and all that kind of stuff, um, they're not big companies in uh, general, like global corporate terms. They're not, right. you know, Apple, Amazon, Exxon, you know, whatever, Xerox. I don't know. Like they're, right. like I said, like I just said, in 2019, the entire tabletop market had one point like eight or $1.9 million or billion dollars in revenue. During that same year, the video game market had $187 billion in, in, in revenue in that same. So, so we're, what is that? Uh, uh, 1%? Uh, roughly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a very different thing. Um, so, right. but, but what we're saying, when we're saying big companies, we mean within the realm of tabletop, not within the realm of, you know, just right. companies in general. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so, but these are big you, companies within our niche. Absolutely. Yeah. Board gaming, there used to be, I would say like three or four kind of big ones, but now mm-hmm. they've all like Asmodee, um, has in the last, I would say three to four years has kind of been merging and buying and kind of consolidating a bunch of companies yeah. like fantasy flight was mm-hmm. you know a, a big one in the room and then now they're owned by asthma day um mm-hmm. i i've kind of forgotten about all the ones uh, didn't, that they, they, didn't they buy mayfair when mayfair kind of started to go to business they, there was so. a lot of there a lot of the games that you're buying these days i mean there are other bigger there are other players out there too like um you know like obviously like renegade and, and that kind of stuff. Um, um, I know there's other ones as well, though I can't think of any names. Uh, well, restoration even, games. Right. Is, are they owned by somebody bigger? Like they're not owned by Asmodee. No, they? they're they're an independent. But I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, you've got Hasbro too, which sure, isn't a sure, big company true. in the board gaming as much um, outside of you know your casual and family games. But yeah, that's true. But speaking of Hasbro, they own Wizards of the Coast. And right. Wizards of the Coast basically kind of owns two of these genres. Wizards of the mm-hmm. Coast makes Dungeons and Dragons because they bought TSR back sometime in the early two thousands, I think. I think. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That sounds about and, right. And and um, or was it in the late nineties? Uh, I don't remember. It's probably around there somewhere. Yeah, it's late nineties, early two thousands. But they bought um, TSR. Uh, uh, who originally, you know, made um, Dungeons and Dragons, and then Wizards of the Coast is obviously also the force behind uh, Magic, you the know, Gathering. Magic the Gathering, which is the biggest right. uh, collectible card game. Although right. uh, uh, Pokemon has been doing big. real well recently, like just specifically yeah. recently, they've been. I've been talking to my friend who's a store owner, and and he's been like, "It's just been nuts. We can't keep the Pokemon stuff in stock right now." So that's been going crazy. Right. I mean, and they do, a, I mean, an amazing job on, you know, their video games, uh, you know, um, movies, Should licensing and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. TV shows, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do, they do that really well, but yeah, yeah that's, that's kind so of the, the point. Yeah. The, these big companies, you've got Asmodee, you've got Wizards of the Coast, you've got Games Workshop. They kind of own the, uh, the, the the tabletop gaming space. Now, this is again not to say that there aren't other companies out there, um, and there are some companies that might have twenty employees. There are companies out there that might have forty employees that are still mm-hmm. not nearly as big as these folks. Um, and then there, are, but but there are also a lot of companies out there that are one, two, three, maybe four people, that kind of thing. Right. Um, 
but the big, the majority of the revenue goes to these big, well-known mm-hmm. uh, companies. And I, I made a video on my YouTube channel a while back about kind of taking like the popular, let's say, miniature game, which is generally you know something from Games Workshop, and comparing it to like popular music. Like very mm. frequently, and this is I think the case with most of these genres. Very frequently, when you start out in let's say listening to music, you have a tendency to listen to popular music. Because it's what's on the radio, you know, that kind of stuff. And although right. that's kind of changing, people don't listen to the radio nearly as much as they used to. But it's what's on the radio. It's what's popular on YouTube. You know, there's that kind of thing, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So what's in movies, um, uh, who's licensing sure. music for movies. Yeah, all that. Exactly, stuff. exactly. And then as you get more and more into music, if you really become a music lover, you very frequently start to find smaller indie musicians and lesser known people and kind of niche kind of musical styles and all that kind of stuff. And right. it's the same thing with, let's say, all of these different types of games in miniature wargaming, you get into, you know, if you really get into it, you really start to, to do things a lot and maybe kind of get interested. You start to look at games that are much smaller, made by smaller people, not physically smaller, but fewer people, right. um, you know, made by uh, like, like teams of one, you know, that kind of thing. And, yeah. um, and it's obviously a little bit harder to find. You got to do a little bit more searching. It's not on the shelves at every store. It probably generally not at the shelves at any stores. But, um, you know, we're also in a situation now where between the Internet and all that kind of stuff, you can find it used to be way harder to find indie music and indie games and indie anything. And now it's actually surprisingly easy. It's just not thrown in your face due to the right. basically lack of marketing budgets. So um, but yeah, so it, it's interesting. And it's like I said, very frequently, the the big popular games uh, from the big you know companies are the thing that you initially find. And then some people stay there and there's nothing wrong with that. But, right. um, you know, some people do kind of start to move into some of the indie stuff, but it is, it does take a bit more work and a bit more love for the, uh, the genre in some fashion. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause, cause the big ones have more marketing. They have a bigger, a better re- uh, recognition. They have, you know, generally a better market, you know, general market appeal. So mm-hmm. you're going to see them in your, you know, um, Barnes and Noble or Target or Walmart. Um, oh, absolutely. That kind of thing. So, yeah, they just have more general, you know, market pres- presence. They have more resources is really what it is. They can mm-hmm. hire the best designers. They can hire the best artists, the big marketing budgets and all that kind of stuff. Like you mentioned, like that really helps. I mean, I've seen, I was seeing board games at Best Buy. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it wasn't, right. you know, like crazy indie board games. It was like, and I'm also not talking about like Monopoly or Sorry. I'm talking about Settlers of Catan and Carcassonne, things like that, which yeah. within our industry are the bigger games. But again, they're not, you know, Hasbro stuff you find in every like Kmart. It's right. it's a lot of different uh, kind of uh, kind of angles that you look at when we're in our conversation. So when, well, you know, and, if and a person's a gamer, right. they probably know when I'm talking about the big games, I'm talking about stuff like Catan within board gaming. But if you're right. not a, a big board gamer, then you might be thinking, you know, Monopoly or Life or something like that. So, yeah. Right. And, the, and they've, and that the, you know, the benefit is they do larger volume runs. So they have more mm-hmm. to distribute around, you know, um, I remember uh, was Gaslands for Osprey. Um, yep. That was by far their biggest uh, release for years, um, and you know, yeah, they if took, you the, if, one of the guys told me took, in the booth that they couldn't keep it in stock, that they were yeah. printing another two or three thousand copies every six weeks. Like when it first right. launched, it just all of a sudden started to roll, and then all of a sudden they couldn't keep it in stock. And now they've redone the book, and now it's called Gaslands Reloaded, and it's a hardcover. And so they really knew to, it was time to put some actual effort into this. You know what I mean? 
Right. But then you you know, you take that and then you compare it to just like uh, you know, uh Dungeons and Dragons releases every two to three months a new, you know, campaign book for dun- you know, for Dungeons mm-hmm. and Dragons. And, you know, you go to your local store and they've got a stack of, you know, thirty or forty in every store mm-hmm. and they're all gone and, you know, and stuff. You know, just the sheer volume difference between those two is absolutely you know, from their biggest hit to just what a normal release is between for companies even is is staggering. Like you go into any normal game store, they're gonna have the big stuff. They're gonna have magic. They're whereas they may not have force of will, which or, is a yeah, smaller collectible card yeah, game. Dust you know? or song of uh, you know, song of fire and ice, right? Ice and fire, fire and ice. Song of uh, song of um, song of fire and ice is cool mini, which cool mini is a good size company, but right, but not everybody's gonna but, carry yeah. that line. Right. So. No, absolutely. Well, what I was going to say was that like the like, you know, you'll you'll probably find magic, but you might not find, um, you know, force of will. You might find a bunch of like big Asmodee board games. I'm not I'm blanking on, on names here, but you may not find like the more indie type stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you'll find Wizards of the Coast and probably Pathfinder, but you may not find um, what was that one that you were playing started with an R? Not Rifts. Um didn't start with an R. You had mechs, mm. I think. Oh um, no, it didn't start with an R. But I don't remember the name. And I'm oh gosh, <laughs> We're both blanking at it. Yeah, somebody's <laughs> yelling at their 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 that's phone my right fault, now. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Going, it was this, and so yeah, there there will be a comment. I'm sure one of you guys will will tell us. What yeah, one but I'm there's a lot. At. I mean, there's a lot of uh, you know, like indie games out there that you generally don't find in stores. Some stores do, like you know. Gaslands was not showing up into every, um, you know, uh, normal, friendly mm-hmm. local game store. But the ones I frankly think the ones that understood the way that the industry was going and stuff like that were like, well, we're going to have a couple of copies in there because it'll probably sell. Um, you know, I've seen I've seen shops that have got stacks of not stacks, but a, a bunch of it, and I'm 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 gladly surprised. But at this point mm-hmm. now, if you're a game store and you don't have Gaslands in stock, you probably should think about getting it, you know, that kind of stuff. But it started right, out but but at the same time, they, they probably don't have you know Rangers of Shadow Deep in stock, right? Yep. Which Although is now another, Modifius is probably one of the their publisher, and so maybe they will, you know. Mm, but yeah, yeah, that's the thing too. And and so Rangers of Shadow Deep is an interesting story. So uh, just a, as a quick note, um, so Osprey is not one of the biggest game companies out there, but they're a good size. They're owned by a bigger mm-hmm. bigger publisher, uh, not Bloomberg, something with a B though. Um, anyway, uh, and so they, Osprey used to be just a company that made like source books really that you could Mm -hmm. use for gaming, you know, like, oh, here's what the Napoleonic soldiers looked like in this year. And so now you have a bunch of nice, nice color plates and good artwork. So that if you were going to sit down and paint a bunch of historical stuff, you had good reference and there's, you know, information and all that jazz. And then I don't know, maybe what, five years ago, six years ago, they decided to actually start getting into gaming and actually Mm -hmm. like produce games. And one of the earliest big hits was Frostgrave, which very possibly our listeners here have heard of. Well, so, you know, Frostgrave getting in. What I was thinking of. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, Frostgrave was a big one. Yep. And, and, and that's done really, really well for him. Gaslands has also done well. And, yep. um, you know, it's just, it's to, to, the, to the situation where, like, they're picking up a lot of different companies and they're, you know, they're able to put some resources. They're not a huge company, but they're bigger than some. So, they can put, like, good resources. Um, I know that uh, they did, um, uh, what is it called? 
Reality's Edge, which is like a cyberpunk uh, skirmish game. And that was uh, written by a guy who had been doing his own publishing. Um, and I know that they also did um, Last Days, who is uh, Ash Barker. He's a YouTuber mm-hmm. um, from Google Miniature Games. He had written a game and they published it, you know, so they do all the cool artwork and all that kind of stuff. But um, Joe McCullough, who did the uh, Frostgrave rules, decided he wanted to do this game called Rangers of Shadowdeep, which is what you mentioned. And they weren't interested in publishing it for some reason, uh, or potentially that he just didn't want to go through them to get it published, or he had his own ideas or whatever the deal was. But so he was able to self-publish it, which is Mm -hmm. the definition of indie at this point. But, you know, he self-published it through um, one bookshelf, uh, through um, wargamevault.com is the name of the the website. And so then you could download a PDF or print-on-demand book. I have both. And um, they sold really, really, really well. So well that eventually, uh, again, a slightly bigger company, Modifius, came along and said, hey, we want to start publishing this. So now Rangers of Shadowdeep is something you may find on more and more gaming uh, store shelves because it's being published through a bigger company like Modifius. And again, right. not as big as the big three, but still. Um, so it, it's an interesting way that some of these things can work now in this particular industry, in this particular time. You could you know, build up a, a name, get yourself self-published without too much work, and then actually draw the attention of some of the bigger companies. So that's interesting. Uh, and the benefits, like we said, of the big companies are the resources, the artists, the the the, the, the layout people, like all that stuff. It's really, really super right. helpful. And the distribution networks. Right. That's another thing. I know we've talked about in the past that, you know, the reason why there's distribution companies is because, you know, you might produce a thousand co- you know, versions of your game. But, you know, and then a store might want one or two, you know, you're not it exactly. doesn't make sense for you to try to ship one to two to all these these different, you know, stores. So you ship your hundred to the distribution companies and distribution companies take the orders and ship the one to two along with one to two of all these other games and everything Mm -hmm. else and send them to the stores, you know, so. But the thing that's really interesting is that the big companies have all started doing their own distribution because they're so big, they have the resources to do that. Right. Games Workshop. Yeah, they don't have to do their marketing. They don't have to like try to sell company on like, well, have you heard about D&D? You know, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. So like G- Games Workshop has their own distribution. So you can basically get a contract with GW and order direct from them. You can generally still get it from distributors as well for smaller game stores that maybe don't have the ability to get a contract. But most mm-hmm. decent sized game stores, they they will be able to buy um, direct from Games Workshop. You can buy direct from um, Wizards of the Coast, I believe. Like you order your Magic the Gathering new right. expansions and all that stuff direct from them. You, again, you can get it from the distributors for smaller com- smaller game stores who can't get a distribution uh, set up through them. But And now even Asmodee is doing the same type of thing. Asmodee has their own direct. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing that's interesting too is that distributors have this like, you know, this definite place within the, the overall uh, ecostructure. But when the big companies get big enough, they have a tendency to decide to cut out the middleman in that situation and become their own middleman, um, which is understandable but, um, but yeah, it, 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 it makes sometimes things a little difficult for smaller companies, for smaller game stores, let's say not, mm-hmm. not all the time, but you know, if they've got limits, you know, you have to order X amount of stuff and everything like that. And if you're a real small store, that's why you end up having to go through, 
your regular distribution right. to try to get some of that stuff, but then you're going to. Or, pay they, or they might more. say like, oh, if you if you carry if you want to carry 40k, you also have to carry Age of Sigmar, or you know, you, sure, you yeah. also have to have a paint rack of our paints. You mm-hmm. know, they'll just they'll say you have to have this other stuff of our lines to, for us to right. allow you to carry it. So, so I know like a lot one of, of our local store that wasn't big in the minis, but wanted to, you know there was a little bit of a need. For, mm-hmm. They were, you know, with I think because of a lot of board game minis to do some more hobby stuff in the store, and they wanted to like just get a little bit into it, and were basically told like they either had to like turn almost half their store based on foot, uh, you know, how much foot square uh, or square foot footage, they yeah. had, yeah, square footage they had, they you know would have to have gone completely over to this other company, which was not their core. So they, you know, mm-hmm. it's. It, it, so it's weird, you know, because on one hand, you're like, well, they lost out on possible business. But on the other hand, you know, there's, it's their rules. So and they're doing pretty good. So I can't say that they're doing it wrong. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the thing. Um, it, it's a situation of the benefits of these big companies in comparison to their faults. And sometimes it's a it's a matter of perspective. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like to certain stores, the fact that they can't order direct from company X who does their own distribution because they can't order enough stuff from them and, and justify it or, or have the right stuff in stock or whatever the deal might be mm-hmm. is a real bummer because they want to get the stuff at the good price. But now they have to go through a regular distributor who then tax on their price and then they're a little bummed by that. Right. And, you know, so it's it's a it's a it's a whole different thing, whereas a bigger store that has the 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 budget that has the uh the customers for a specific type of line and the volume they're like well this is great you know i can order instead of having to order through my distributor now immediately admittedly as a store owner you are now having to make more orders because you are Mm -hmm. making one to your normal distributor one to this big board game distributor who does their own distribution one to you know wizards of the coast so you can get some DD and you can get some magic the gathering and stuff like that and then one to gw or whatever and so it's interesting, and it and again, some stores are, are great with it because they love the specific uh, discounts. But you're also seeing a lot of these companies as well. I mean, definitely Wizards of the Coast and Games Workshop. They're also looking at the aspect of like, well, and and you see it more and more. They're also they don't have a problem with taking the game stores out of the equation too. They are absolutely happy to sell direct. Uh, Wizards of the Coast has been doing yeah. it a lot more lately, and it's been making a lot of store owners unhappy. So, right, they've been kind of setting the prices. They've been un- sometimes even like underselling their their online prices from what they're allowing the stores to sell mm-hmm. at their stores, which you know, it's their right to do. But at the same time, yeah. you know, you know, we've always said, you know, I you know, I think our belief is that the friendly local game store is really where people that are interested in the hobby go to learn to find out more stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I. I can't go and find out more about Magic the Gathering without going to a local game store, really. I mean, conventions, maybe. Uh, sure. Definitely not in the past year. Um, and you can learn some things online, but a lot of people learn best in person, generally. Right. And those those are you the know. people that are telling me, like, oh, hey, we just got this new release in of this that you might want to check out and stuff like that. You mm-hmm. know, they're the ones that are giving me the recommendations. Um, I, I just saw someone post on... Uh, I think it was Twitter this last week, or maybe it was Reddit, and they were talking about how that's one thing that they kind of miss about all these uh, video game, or sorry, video game video stores going out of business is they're missing movies that they hadn't heard about that have missed their radar in the last five years because they went from having you know their blockbusters or even their mom and pa shops that mm-hmm. knew them and knew their tastes and what they were renting and were able to say, hey, you might like this stuff to. 
you know, now they're doing everything digital, their Netflix, you know, Prime, Prime, Hulu, all that, that are just using algorithms and generally just trying to force their, what they want people to like. Um, and, and the algorithms are sometimes smart, but sometimes they're not. There's times when you're right. like, I could have swore that this movie was on, on Netflix and I want to watch it. And you scroll and you scroll and you scroll and you scroll and you're like, it's just recently released. It should be in this like now trending or recently mm-hmm. released area. And you just won't see it. And then you'll do a search for it and then you'll find it. And that's because the algorithm is thinking, oh, this person doesn't want to see that. They want to see this, this and this. And so it just doesn't mm-hmm. show it to you, even though you actually do want to see it. But the algorithm doesn't know everything yet. <laughs> so you know what I mean? Right. So that's kind of a thing. Whereas if you walk around in the store you walk through, it's very frequently, especially the new releases are usually alphabetical. So you're just walking through and then eventually you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's a little bit harder to do. Yeah, we lost a, a local, um, we lost a, it was a family video, I think. The family video here in town, I think, closed right. over the pandemic. So and, that's, and, that's and kind of a bummer. It's not that those companies are bad either. I mean, the no. if you think of Blockbuster and family video, they took out smaller companies too because of the yep. whole... They were doing the the price sharing of rentals versus buying the hundred dollar video of each copy, which is why they are able to have you know forty ver- copies of you know Terminator Two on their shelves mm-hmm. versus one or two like your your, your stores normally did. Exactly. Um, yeah. I think there's a there's a the, the last blockbuster. I think is well, a movie on Netflix right now. Yeah, yeah, and they kind of talk about that part of it as well. They kind of t- so they talk about the the fall of blockbuster, but they also talk about the rise of like why did it become popular? And, and that was one of the things is like they could pretty much guarantee that a new release was going to be there. Whereas before that, it was like if you weren't the first one there, maybe you could see the new release in the first couple of months if you were lucky. Um, yeah. Normally, you like I remember we would call and like got put on a wait list and like, okay, we'll let you know when so-and-so brings it back. Um, there's mm-hmm, like three other mm-hmm. people ahead of you. And so as long, then you were kind of hoping people brought it back pretty fast. And then maybe it's like two or three weeks from now, you could see the hot new movie. Yeah. You know, versus where it was like, Oh uh, yeah. 50 people rented from our store, the the new movie and all saw it the first night, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the big companies, they have their benefits, but they also have their faults. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and we kind of talked about this before when we were talking about like popular music versus, you know, more indie music, the, the appealing to a broad market is fine, but it, it doesn't necessarily have something for everyone. They do try to go and this doesn't, I don't want to make this sound like a bad thing, uh, the term, but they do try to go for the lowest common denominator. They do try mm-hmm. to like, if, if a game is something that's maybe got a very niche interest, we're less likely to publish it because we need to make money then it's something that would be, you know, broadly more, uh, you know, loved, let's say, by a, a bigger audience, you know. Um, right. Chances of taking risks and things like that is not high uh, with big companies. And and it's because the big companies, well, I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but it's because the big companies are companies. They got to, you know, right. they can, um, and, and kind of like you were just talking about too, they, they'll push out some competition sometimes. And they're also sometimes seen to be uh, price gouging. And, and, you know, and, and there's MSRP issues and things like that, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting to hear people throw around terms like monopoly. I get people in comments on my videos, you know, who are angry at games workshop and they'll say, well, they're a monopoly. And I, I respond almost every time. And I'm like, no, they're not a monopoly at all. There are plenty of companies out there that make miniatures. They're right. the only company that makes their miniatures. That's true. 
But that's mm-hmm. like saying it that Coke is a monopoly because Pepsi can't make Coke. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't. It, right. It, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. There's a fine line between what's yeah a monopoly and just being, you know, a market, you know, uh, leader, you know. Right. Exactly. And market leaders exactly. can set trends. I mean, if you look at, you know, look at the iPhone for the last, you know, 15, Decade. 20 years or how is it 15 years maybe? When did it come out? 2008? Was the first one? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, well, you look at it. I mean, there's like there's there's some stuff that's like, oh well, Samsung had this, or Microsoft's, you know, the Windows Phone had this, you know, ten years ago when mm-hmm. an iPhone will do a new, you know, it's like, yeah, but until the market leader does it, a lot of people don't know about it. Um, right. Exactly. You know, yeah. Even though a lot of people have Android phones, um, but they're all kind of made out of a bunch of different companies underneath them, so mm-hmm. it's you know less of a, you know, of a, of a shared market. So. Right. I mean, there's plenty of companies out there that are big companies that everyone sees and goes, okay, well, maybe this game isn't for me because I don't like this particular aspect of it, but they don't see the smaller companies who are doing a game that they would like because they do that aspect of it differently. Like to get real into the weeds here, you know, we're in ninth edition of Warhammer 40,000 and I am still frankly a bit annoyed by the activation uh, scheme, the way that basically mm-hmm. you and I roll off at the beginning of the game, whoever rolls right. highest gets to go first. And then every turn I get to go first for the rest of the game. Right. Which there just are seems plenty of ways yeah. that other companies are doing it now, you know, from rolling off every turn, even games workshop is having other like in age of Sigmar, you roll off every turn to see who goes mm-hmm. first for each turn um, in games like, um, a bolt action from warlord or conflict 47 from warlord you have a die for every one of your units and you put them in a bag uh like a dice bag and then your your opponent has a die for every one of their units and then you just reach in and start pulling out dice to see who gets to go okay well that was one of my dice so i get to activate a guy i deep reach back in oh hey this is another one of my dice and then it's maybe one of your dice so there are lots and lots of options out there and if you just don't like but the issue is if you look at 40K because it's the huge dominant and you go, oh, I don't like that style of game or whatever, you may, may not realize that there are other types of games out there because right. they don't get the and, marketing budget. They don't get the exposure. And and if you look at, you know, from a games workshop, you know, the, the for them to change something, you know, can, you know, it's a big risk to them. If they, you know, mm-hmm. look at um, uh, D&D, is it fourth edition? Right, that basically like almost killed off D and D for a little while. Oh like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that spun off Pathfinder, and you mm-hmm. know, it just did abysmal um, because they they made some changes that they thought were good, that they thought that everybody was asking for, and it just did not go over. Um, Fourth edition so, became almost like a video game to some degree. They, they tried to pick right. up a bunch of video game tropes, like almost like World of Warcraft type tropes, and a lot of people hated it. And so then they were like, "Oh, we got to right. fix that." And then they came up with fifth, which a lot of people seem to really really like. Right. But I mean, that's the risk that they have is that they mm-hmm. could alienate their market. And and putting out other versions of the your product can also, you know, it doesn't always bring in new people. It can just, you know, break up your current. Like uh I I remember back when I worked at the radio stations, they were always talked about, you know, Coke if Coke, you know, releases Diet Coke, well, that doesn't always bring a bunch of people to that weren't Coke drinkers. What that does is it gives Coke drinkers more options that might not buy something else. But the, it, but it did take away some actual Coke drinkers that were like, "Oh, I like the taste, but now I have a Diet Coke version." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Same thing happened when they did, you know, uh, Coke Zero, 
it didn't all necessarily bring them a lot of new people drinking Coke for the first time. It kind of broke up and gave more options and less chance that people would leave their brand. But now they had to market three different brands, you know, versus right. the one the one brand. So there's a lot behind business, you know, business strategies and everything else of, you know, don't break, you know, if it's working and most people like it, keep it, even if it's maybe, the, you know, there are people that are against it that want, like you said, like the activation. Well, if they changed it, there's nothing saying that everybody won't go. But this is how your activations always work. That's the pre- that's why I keep coming back to this game. I right. want that activation. They could lose right. a whole bunch of people. They don't, you know, it's it's and, a lot of of guesswork on their part. And one of the big issues with being a, a company of that size, um, and it's with all these big three, you have to make money because you are mm-hmm. not just doing this because you love games. You're doing this because you're owned by stockholders, and they have to have, to get benefits they have to get money from right basically being stock people so if you do something in your business that hurts your business it's 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 bad like it is like in right. literally like you know they talk about due diligence and stuff like that like you can get in trouble or fired for not doing proper due diligence and certain things like mm-hmm. that and well so and even you if you get to be this you, big of a company right. you know you could your company could still be making money but you suddenly lost you know your markets your say your profits went down to you know, you basically broke even but you had record years up until you did this thing mm-hmm. you could lose your job you know a bunch yeah, of people could lose their jobs um, yeah because you're still making stuff. money but not enough money that's that's the right. big issue with big 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 giant corporations like this uh, is that they need to keep making more money and then they you know people will it's perceived by gamers that well they're losing sight and they're not they don't they're not making this for the love of the game and they're they're not wrong in any way like this is mm-hmm. at this point it is not a game company it is a business and there's a definite right. difference there when you got a couple of people who sit down and decide to write a game in their free time and they work on something and they publish it and maybe it gets bigger and then they be able to start doing this full time and then maybe they're mm-hmm. up to like two or three people or whatever or four people maybe and they're right. building and stuff like that a big portion of that, like, you know, we've said it how many times, what's the easiest way to get a small fortune in tabletop gaming? You start with a large fortune. Start with a large fortune, right, exactly. There's not a lot of money in there. But these biggest corporations who get to the top of these different genres got there by being businesses first and gamers second. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in some situations, some gamers can look at that and say that's a problem, but it will definitely def- define the way these businesses have to make their decisions. We have to keep raising, you know, the prices a bit every time, you know, because we need to be able to make more money than we did last year, you know, mm-hmm. and they need to, you know, all that kind of stuff. And 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 also like the legal stuff, they have to um, basically leverage their IP like it has to be defended. You can't just be like, okay, well, someone's making a thing that can be played along with our game. We make Settlers of Catan. Someone made an expansion for it. You have to have Settlers of Catan to play with this expansion that they sell. But, you know, it's cool. Maybe it'll sell more copies. No, if you're a really big company, you can't allow that. If you're using your trademarks, anything like that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You have to defend it because if you don't, you can lose it. I saw a big thing. I remember in the 90s when they started doing like uh, T-shirt printing in the malls mm-hmm. and like embroidery. People were upset because like while well, Disney would go and they, they would sue these like little mom paw shops out of oblivion for mm-hmm. like putting Mickey Mouse on the shirt and stuff. And everyone's like, why do they have to pick on, you know, they have enough money they have to pick. Well, yeah, basically that comes down to, I, I don't know if this is how it works in every country, but I know for copyright and trademark law in the U.S., 
that basically if they could, if any company can show that you didn't that you knew about something and didn't defend it for your your intellectual property it basically allows anyone then to do it. So if they are able to go, well, you knew this one company was making bumper stickers with Mickey Mouse on it and you didn't go after them. So you can't you sue can't this go, other company. Yeah, You can't sue this other company for, for taking Mickey Mouse and making their own cartoons with it. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. it's, a, it's an all or nothing type, type deal, which, you know. With it, I mean, within uh, Games Workshop, you can see this through the naming conventions. You know, mm-hmm. they used to have their paints used to just have normal colors, but now for names and now all the paints have crazy, crazy, crazy names that are all copyrightable so mm-hmm. that like if you make a color that is whatever it was, then some other company can't decide to make a color that matches it and you, and, and put your put the name. It's like this. Right. The they can't market. Such goes, yeah, right. Yep. Right. Because now you have changed the name from Flaming Purple to Magos Purple, and that you can copyright, whereas, you know, Flaming Purple, you can't necessarily or whatever, you know. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's lots of different things like that that you have to keep in track when you are a big company. When you're a small company, you can do it for the love of the game. uh, Absolutely. And you can make, you know, wildly differing decisions and you can decide to take chances and take risks. But when you're a big, big honking company, you have to do things by you know corporate bylaws right you have a lot of people who are looking over your shoulder and the larger the volume too the larger decisions are you know the 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 different decisions can you know affect you if you own your own little if you own your own personal pizza shop and you're like oh every table or every order that comes in i'm gonna give them a stack of napkins Mm -hmm. okay you're gonna give them 10 napkins right because that costs you 10 cents sure and people are fine with that now you go to say McDonald's, you know, if you give everyone 10 napkins versus everybody one or two napkins, you're talking millions of dollars of difference. Exactly. Because of the volume. Exactly. Right. Yeah. The volume, volume. So, you know, same thing, you know, games workshop, you know, I know that, you know, there's stuff that, you know, you're like, oh, well, this like little mini game gave me this, all this extra stuff. That's really cool. It probably there they looked at it and were like, "Oh, this is like twenty five cents to us." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you know, you take that and multiply it by tens of thousands of copies, then it gets re- really expensive to do stuff. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And and the other thing that we have to look at too, and this is not exactly a fault. It sometimes comes across as a fault, but the 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 inherent like just striving to make more and more money. People refer to some of these big companies as greedy all the time. All oh, those, that's mm. this greedy corporation, this greedy corporation. And again, we've explained some of it by, uh, you know, by talking about the, um, the, uh, the share- shareholders. Shareholders have mm-hmm. expectations. Right. And when you're a big enough company, you have shareholders, you have to do what they kind of want. But you also, if you have 300, 400, you know, 6,000 employees, I mean, if we start mm-hmm. talking about Games Workshop as a big company, let's say they have retail locations all over the world. And so they have right. a lot more employees than most any other game company out there. More than I would say, but I bet they have probably more employees. If you count the retail folks, they have probably more employees than even Wizards of the Coast probably does. Um, yeah, I could see that. But yeah, but the thing is, is that if you're, that's just a lot of people who depend on you to eat. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like when you're like a small, especially like a small hobby press that's starting to get some like, some traction and people are really starting to enjoy your stuff. You can make these weird changes and it maybe you didn't do as well this month or whatever the deal was. But when you do something that really hurts the long-term 
you know, version of your company, the way that people think of it, it can affect, you have to lay people off. People will have to get different jobs. Like there's like, you have a lot of responsibilities as well. So having to make a decent amount of money is also super important. Now, the question is whether that they also treat their employees well, that that's a big deal mm -hmm. as well. And, um, I don't know some of the, some of the game companies, I don't know a ton about, I know I've heard some kind of negative things about, uh, uh, wizards of the coast a little bit here and there about the, the employee kind of, uh, thing the, the uh, what do you call it the the environment um mm -hmm. uh, i've heard also like good things about games workshop i've heard that they like back in uh 2018 maybe after eighth edition had been out for a while they they mm -hmm. basically split five million pounds with all of their employees so it was oh, like wow. a big profit yeah. sharing kind of a thing oh yeah mm -hmm. so you know like th that's 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 cool and i'm i'm glad to see some of these companies doing that but some of the companies i don't know as, as much I, I think it's way worse in the video game industry frankly because there's oh yeah absolutely and there's like all that stuff but but again that's also a size issue you know a company like electronic arts ea is massive in comparison to games workshop wizards of the coast and asmodee put together you know what i mean mm -hmm. it's still huge so you know, I guess the question really then comes down to, are these big corporations in gaming, are these big companies inherently bad or mm -hmm. not? I don't personally think so, but they do frequently get a bad rap. Right. Um, and, and in some situations, like I said, sometimes they deserve it for little things here and there. There are certain things I think, you know, again, like I said, some of the stuff I've heard about was just the coast and the, the working environment. Uh, you know, there have been articles and things like that. That's a real problem. Um, and you know, uh, when I think when some of these companies start to like, try to like kind of carve out and get business away from the, from the friendly local game stores, I think that's also, um, that's mm -hmm. bad and it's short sighted for the industry. Um, mm -hmm. you know, but they're trying to make money and they're producing a lot more stuff and they're trying, you know, that's some of that stuff is just inherently the way it is. And some of it is just because of the, the, the size they have to be, they have to keep churning. They have to keep moving, you know? Right. I get people ask me all the time, why do these companies keep making new versions of these games, specifically in miniatures? Like, why why is there a new version of uh, Warhammer Forty Thousand every three years? Well, because they're they're if if they sold it and then didn't sell another version of it again, their sales would slowly dissipate. You know what I mean? Right. Like if they just made forty k and they were like, okay, well that's the last version, cool. Like you know, you'd get new people joining from time to time, and obviously things like that. So the long tail, but yeah, well you might even get less people you don't, Yeah, that's like, true too. Joining because you might go. Oh, geez. Well, I wasn't in there at the beginning. Like, you know, magic sometimes feels that way where you're like, oh, yeah, well, I haven't been collecting for 20 years or I got rid mm -hmm. of my cards a long time ago. I can't get back into it because I don't have that, you know, so they'll, they'll introduce different, you know, ways to play that, you know, like allows Commander. you to kind of jump in. Yep. Or yeah. Yeah. Or they'll have, yeah, you know, yeah. you, you know, we're only going to play with these decks. So or these, yeah. you know, sets. So, well, I mean, that's really, frankly, that's what the, the competitive play is for, um, for, uh, magic and i don't know a ton about it but i know that like if you're playing competitively in in like tournaments and stuff like that you can't play with like cards from 20 years ago like you can only play with like the last three or four sets or something like that yeah and then they rotate out and then that last set like when the new set comes out the the set that was the oldest drops off and then that just constantly goes that way so you know there's that too the other thing to understand i think is that uh, basically almost every single huge company started as a small company at some point and I mm -hmm. think that that's important to understand because some people look at these things as like these companies as, as, as these huge, specifically within gaming. I mean, you know, it's even true in outside of gaming, but within gaming, people will look at what we perceive to be these huge companies that aren't really all that big in the grand scheme of things. But right. we'll talk about them as these kind of entities and stuff like that. But every one of them started as like, I remember walking past 
Wizards of the Coast's janky little booth at Gen Con in the mid 90s, early Mm -hmm. 90s. Uh, They had like a single or maybe they had two booths squished together at this terrible logo back then. I mean, it was really not good. And I remember walking by and looking at it and going, Wizards of the Coast. Well, that's a dumb name. And then seriously, like six or seven years later, they owned Gen Con and TSR. I mean, it was very quick, actually. But they all start somewhere, you know? Right. Yeah. You look at all, you know, you know, Apple. Apple started, Mm -hmm. you know, a little booth in a in Mm -hmm. a tech fair. Uh, mm-hmm. TSR, uh, when, you know, Gary Gygax, he, he was at, uh, Origins back in the day and, you know, had a little booth, you know, uh, yeah, they all They've took been... chances at one p- point in time. They all had to, you know, make their product go. And now, like we said, for one reason or another, they might be less likely to change directions, but at the same time, they're bringing in people that may not have been in there. I mean, the, the hobby is growing. I mean, look at what Pokemon Go did to, uh, you know, the hobby as bringing in more people in the collectible card games. Um, mm-hmm. I thought Pokemon yeah, was kind of gone. And then all of a sudden now, you know, my kid plays Pokemon. He, bu- you know, buys all the new uh, games, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he collects cards again, you know, he started collecting those cards and playing those cards. So it brought them back into it by them marketing and leveraging their IP out there and taking chances yeah. and, and stuff there, but... I mean, the big gaming companies can be seen as a bit out of touch sometimes. Like you'll look at that, mm-hmm. like as a, as a, if you're if you're you know part of the industry and you've been doing it for a while, you look at it and go, oh, you know, like we talked about, like they sometimes are, are, are a little rigid in their ways and don't change their rules as much and things like that, um, you know, where it's difficult and it's understandable. Mm-hmm. But you know, the thing is, is that if you as the consumer want the big budget experience, you want the the RPG supplements that have amazing, gorgeous, gorgeous artwork, amazing co- covers, tons of amazing, beautiful writing, all this kind of stuff. Right. You want the, you know, the, um, the, the board games that are just completely just choked with miniatures that are gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And there's like really super thick card and all that kind of stuff. That's really almost impossible for a small indie kind of game company to do. It's only the big dudes really who can do that. You know, right. and so it, 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 it's a it's a you know if you're going to be playing indie games, you're going to be very frequently looking at PDFs. You're going to be very frequently messing with kind of frankly some sort of janky production. But you have to look at it from is the game itself good? But if you're really mm-hmm. really really interested in components and how those work, then you're going to be kind of uh, you know that's that's you're going to be s- sticking with the big guys uh, as it were. Um, because they have the, like we said at the beginning, the resources to be able to right. do it, you know? Um, you no, know, look at, look at blockbuster movies. You know, if you take that, that, jo- you know, industry. Oh, sure. Like you know, the Marvel like, movies and stuff like that. Or, or, or like, uh, what's his name that always just blows up stuff? Uh, Michael, uh, Michael Bay. Bay. Mm-hmm. You know, and you, you talk to, like, you listen to some actors and they're like, yeah, I do some of those big budget movies so that I can go and basically take, you know, a cut or, you know, take a low, budget movie so i can make you know more artsy or more films that are but they're like but i gotta get paid my family has Mm -hmm. to eat and live and my assistants and everything else you know so you know there it's kind of like that you know the without if the if the if there was only indies you know it'd be hard to have gen con conventions and stuff like that because Mm -hmm. it'd be hard to get you know two thousand indie games without any big promoters any big sponsors you know yeah no, I, I agree. And it's it's a situation, too, of like I frequently look at 
a lot of the models coming out of Games Workshop is like, wow, that's really cool. I'm really looking forward to using that model in some indie game. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Although the thing that's interesting, and this is a thing that, you know, maybe we'll talk about it in another episode, but the thing that's interesting is that a lot of these big companies have to understand that we are, and this is a little bit more in the miniatures realm, but we're on a bit of a precipice. And we have it that same thing in, uh, in, in RPGs as well. Not so much collectible card games, I think. But the idea that I can very soon produce potentially very, very nice looking miniatures. Uh, well, not mm -hmm. the miniatures so much, but the STL files that then I will sell to you and then you will print them in your house. And I can also send you the PDF, you know, like there's a lot of shipping issues in this world right now because of COVID and things like that. And you're seeing these companies that are able to kind of take this a more digital approach within the tabletop gaming realm doing well, or at least mm -hmm. doing better. And I think that it's either going to become to a situation where the big companies are going to adapt and start doing a little bit more of that kind of stuff themselves. You're already seeing with companies like Modifius and like Osprey, they sell everything digitally or print if you want to go that route. Right. Even I, Games I Workshop can, does a bit of that. I can see, you know, I can, I can see in five years, Games Workshop possibly even doing like a monthly subscription. You have a Warhammer subscription where you get exclusive models and stuff mm. like that that are just SDLs. Mm, I mean, maybe, think I of, don't know. Like, Anybody of Games years. Workshop, frankly, <laughs> honestly. But, but I mean, but as it is right like, now, there's already companies using uh, Patreon, like smaller groups right. of people who are sculptors using Patreon, and then basically giving you 10 to 20 STLs a month, and you give them 10 bucks a month, and then you print what you want. I mean, that's getting huge. Unless, you know? so but uh, then, you know, but then the turn you got tournaments and stuff too, right? Like where you have to use their specific models. So. Right. Again, if you're playing competitively, then you're in their ecosystem and stuff. But yeah, so there's, so there's a lot of different like, options, but things are got, changing. You, you had you know, Netflix streaming and Hulu world. streaming, right? And now you mm -hmm. also you're seeing like Discovery Plus and Disney Plus sure. and Paramount and Shutter, Plus. Like if you and, just want horror movies and stuff like that and not right. like big horror movies, but more indie stuff. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of the technology is moving in a situation where things are getting decentralized so much more that I think that the big companies are losing some of their grasp on the stranglehold but, some but say. then you'll see you know some of mean? those big companies they're able to shift over to there and then just suddenly take over you know huge market shares just by their name so if they're willing to do it and take the risk and that's all right the important some thing. will yeah, some absolutely. won't yeah people ask me all the time they're like well when do you think the games workshop is going to start doing stl files or you know are they going to produce their own 3d printer that only prints their files i i don't know that they'll ever do it but um there's plenty of people who are starting to head in that direction so, um, no. you know, that's, it's, it's an interesting time to be alive. Let's just say that. But mm -hmm. so, yeah, the whole concept of uh, big companies versus small companies or the big companies inherently bad, you know, uh, in gaming, I would say generally, no, they have their faults, but mm -hmm. they're not, I don't think they're evil. <laughs> you may have yeah, other ideas. You can James put them in the Bond comments, isn't having to break know? into them and take out take them over and i don't and think any of those companies are inside of a hollowed out volcano but that would be sort of cool games workshop yeah. isn't like nodding them i don't think they have any hollowed out volcanoes no there. that's like robin hood territory right might have a castle that'd be kind of cool Ooh. yeah i've seen pictures of the building but i've never been there it doesn't look like a castle so and what's uh, uh wizard of the coast is in seattle i don't know if there's any well there's mount rainier but i don't think that that's hollow no St. Helens, now that's in Oregon. Or is that, yeah, no, St. Helens is, yeah, you're right. Anyway. Yeah. But so, yeah, so if you got some comments and stuff like that, let us know. Uh, shoot us an email. I'll tell you the email address in just a second. Put it in some comments below. And, um, yeah, take a look at your, obviously, you know, you're, you're probably cognizant of the big games, the big companies out there already. But, you know, 
they're not all bad. And uh, also you can take a look at the small, the small companies too. We talked about indie gaming back in episode 31. If you're interested, you go back and check out that one on our audio feed or through the YouTube channel. Um, thanks again for listening to this episode of the game Four podcast. If you've got questions or comments, like I mentioned, uh, and you're watching on YouTube, please leave a comment below. If you were listening via your favorite podcast player or just aren't into the whole YouTube comment section thing, then you can feel free to reach out to us via email at podcast at imgame4.com. You can also keep us up to date. Uh, keep up to date with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And check out our website at www.imgame4.com. That is www.iamgameforcom Thanks. Thanks. <laughs>